When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find a Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. Actually, from Johnston, Iowa right now. So Wow, look at that. Home of John Deere Financial. There you go, buddy. <laughs> look at that. Balling. All right, man. <laughs> You're out doing a recording of uh, Market to Market, right? I did that yesterday afternoon. Uh, okay. They had to record a day earlier because... They're going to be uh, at the Iowa State Fair today, as I, as will I. But um, so right we did a, a, a day earlier. But it, the show is done, and it, I believe, it's now posted on YouTube and stuff. And I think it'll be on the TV tonight and over the weekend. So awesome! There you go. State fairs, huh? Those love those things. Meat on a stick. You can find that everywhere when you go down there. You get the corn dogs. You get the whatevers. You know. I've always it, liked it, the. Got to hold a little pig, you know, that sort of thing. Deep fried <laughs> snicker bars. Those are my favorite things. I don't know how they make that work, but somehow they seem to make that work. So, I called my doctor uh, to tell him that, that I was I made the decision to, to do that, and mm-hmm. um, so he's praying for me. So <laughs> Give you some extra cholesterol medicine, so you'd be good. You're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right on. All right, Sean. Report comes out today at noon. Um, 
Today is uh, Friday the 11th of August, so you're looking at that coming out. The last couple of days, we've been seeing some shoring up of this uh, this cascading uh, fall in the price of corn and beans, and we are seeing um, kind of some leveling out. Obviously, we'll see what the report says, and then after that, we'll go back to doing whatever we were doing before that and what is affecting the market there. So I guess looking at what's coming coming today, Sean, your thoughts there and what what are your what are your expectations? Well just remember the August report it tends to be one of the most unreliable of all the US day reports that are put out throughout the year. And I'm saying and, something, and, Sean. <laughs> saying something because most of them are, are unreliable. But um, it's particularly unreliable. The USDA tends to get bold in this report, even though they don't really have agronomic information yet. And then they typically make a mistake, and then they have to reverse course in September. When they do get more hardcore, on-the-field agronomic data that tells them what the truth is. So this report has tended to be one that creates a lot of volatility uh, because it does tend to surprise the market one way or the other. Um, But I'm – put out earlier in the week to my subscribers is if, if for whatever reason they lower yields today and we get a bullish reaction short term for farmers who haven't made a lot of sales because they weren't sure about their crop or they're just behind for whatever reason, that might be a good opportunity. If they, if they need to make some sales prior to harvest, you know that, that could be a good short-term window of opportunity to make some cash sales. If we don't get that, we don't get it. But, you know, I, I would be, you know, in terms of an action plan, I'd be looking to sell any rally on a on a bullish, bullishly viewed report because the bottom line is the August weather looks good. Um, and I and whatever they if, if they did lower yields today, I believe they would put yield potential back on in September. It would be a short term quick hit geopolitics, you know, off the table. We're just talking strictly you know, U.S. crop, supply and demand, that sort of thing. That's strategically how I would handle today. If it's viewed as bearish, then, you know, I think we've already priced in a lot of it already, you know, sub $5 corn. And we were under 13 there on soybeans for a little bit after a little bit of a bounce recently. But, um, you know, I, I think a good portion of, 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 of the better weather and better crop is already priced in. So, you know, I just – I'm not excited about selling sub $5 corn. I'm not excited about – selling sub $13 soybeans at this time, given what I see that believe to be a more, um, you know, um, nasty geopolitical situation coming up uh, here in the fall. And, um, you know, I just, uh, and, and kind of looking at Chinese weather, you know, they've had serious, serious flooding from mm-hmm. a couple of typhoons. The corn market futures price in China really, really spiked this week substantially um post asf a lot of things tell me that we're looking at probably an early harvest low this year maybe you know late august early september versus a a late september early october so i just don't want to be a huge seller on weakness um unless you have to and 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 that's why i would if you're in in the mode where you say i have to sell you know, hopefully we get a bounce today. The, whatever the market, the algorithms say, hey, it was bullish report. We'll we'll knock the market up for a little while. You know, that would be a great opportunity to catch up or make some short term sales. But overall, you know, we're just not an excited excited seller. You know, after this big break that we've had. So yeah, okay, all right. Yesterday, news report came out that um, 
the Ukrainian Navy had somewhat carved out a grain corridor into um, the black through the Black Sea into Odessa, which I don't know how much you can actually use Odessa right now because of the bombing that they've seen, but um, it's just like a little blip on the on the radar there. I guess Sean, as you look at that, is that going to make a big difference in what we see happening right now as far as the whole you know turmoil that we see in the the Black Sea region? No, no, I don't. I don't see it having much of an impact. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think it's very interesting. And look, the, the ball is in Russia's court to escalate or de-escalate. Mm -hmm. They've decided to escalate. Um, what's interesting, if you look back at 100 years of Russian geopolitics, I have found that when I do history lessons or history work on different regions and different countries, certain big political events tend to happen at certain times of the year. Repeatedly, I don't know why that's the case, other than it just seems like leaders like to make big statements at times that have historically been meaningful to their country in the past. So, the back half of August, you know, that's when there was a, the assassination attempt on um, Lenin. Uh, that's when the, the Russia and, and Germany, you know, went into Poland in the 30s and. Uh, by the way, it, 1991, August 24th, was Ukrainian independence was declared. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting, you know, this back half of August, there's been a, a lot of big political events in, in Russia, and it might be an ideal window for President Putin to make a, a, a larger statement about who's really in control, according to them, at a time of Ukrainian celebration of their independence you know i just think that that would be a, a really interesting time for russia to put something out there and show its its metal and 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 kind of indicate to the ukrainians the precarious nature of where they want them to believe that they're at at this point um so i think i'd be very very mindful of the back half of august um it has been a a hot button for russia and ukraine for a long time and I think um, it would be, a, you know, an interesting time to cause mayhem when Ukraine would be in some kind of a of a mode of celebrating their uh, short-lived so far independence, but nonetheless since 1991. Yeah, that's a good point. I've thought about it like that. But that's you start connecting the dots of history, and, and crazy things pop up for sure. All right, Sean. So let's jump over and talk a little bit about the weather. <clears throat> One thing that you are. Uh, constantly tracking our long-term weather forecasts and what that looks like and, and, and how those things are playing out. Um, I've started to see it pop up on um, various YouTube channels that I pay attention to about the uh, El Nino that's coming um, and what it looks like. And, you know, everyone's got it predicted to be a uh, moderate to strong, but heavily on the strong side. I've uh, watched more than one video about the super El Nino and, and, the epicness of that and what that means. It didn't really tell me anything different than what a, a normal El Nino does. It just, you know, amplified a few things, but I guess, Sean, as you're taking a look at this winter and this slowly slow to develop El Nino that we've talked about um, throughout all of 23 here. And like you talked about, you said 23 is not going to be the year. 24 is going to be the year where we have this heavy El Nino. And right now we're starting to see that develop and it's slowly developing. And it looks like by the time, uh, January, February rolls around. We're going to be in this full swing of this 
of whatever level of El Nino that we're rolling into. So I guess, Sean, talk a little bit about your weather forecast you see now going through the fall into the winter. And am I going to get snow every other day out here like I'm getting rain? Well, first of all, keep in mind that the media, for whatever reason, has chosen to highlight uh, hot, dry extremes and underplay everything else. So you would be led to believe that the U.S. has had the hottest summer ever recorded in the history of the world. And it's actually been the coolest summer nationwide overall in 25 years. That's the actual data. Yes, it's been hot in certain parts in you know, Texas and you know, the, the, the deep southwest. Mm-hmm. But the core of the country has been actually cooler than normal throughout the summer. So despite what the media is trying to portray, we actually have had a fairly cool summer. One of the reasons why the grain crop in the U.S. is in much better shape than it could have been had it been much warmer than normal because it's been cooler than normal. So, so just understand there's a constant bias to, to, to overplay the, um, the narrative that, uh, you know, this, uh, the, the warming and the dryness is out of control when it really is not showing. Yes. Every single year, somebody has a record hot temperature. There's a record drought somewhere and it's never been that bad before, but you know, you, you can't look at data uh, in a cherry picking for, for fashion, you have to look at it in its entirety. And the entirety is it's not shaping up that way. That's the that's the one thing. So so of course they want to play up a super El Nino. El Nino tends to produce warmer summers here in the northern hemisphere, and it does tends to produce warmer summers during the southern hemisphere. That's natural. It's always been the case. La Nina is colder. El Nino tends to be warmer. So. So they're trying to play this up. So remember, the models about six months ago said guaranteed Super El Nino, the war- strongest ever on record. Then it was, it's going to be a Super El Nino. Then it's going to be, it should be a Super El Nino. Then it's going to be, it could be a Super El Nino. Now it's going to be, well, it's definitely going to be moderate to, to maybe a Super El Nino. You know, they, they keep ratcheting down and ratcheting down and ratcheting. And the reality is El Nino has not gotten any stronger in about two months. It's been about plus 0.8 degrees above normal in the Pacific, um, which is a weak El Nino signature. Now, the multivariate ENSO, which is a measure of five to six different pressure, sea surface temperature, and airflow variables that actually tells you whether the atmosphere is getting in on the game with the sea surface temperatures. It just came out this week and it came out at 0.3 plus 0.3. You need plus 0.5 to have a minimal El Nino atmospheric response. So we're still not getting the atmospheric El Nino response. Our forecast all along was that we would not likely see that until September. And I think the way we're looking at the numbers I think we will start to finally see a El Nino response in the atmosphere by September, strengthening into probably a weak, moderate El Nino, peaking late this year and early next year, and then weakening again. So, so that's pretty consistent with what we've said along. What does that mean? That means we're, that if that the El Nino response is going to start to show up uh, in the southern hemisphere growing season. That means the Argentina drought is over. 
We're gonna, they're going to get a lot of rain. They're going to have a much better crop. Remember that a half a crop. So we're, we're expecting big, big, big production out of a, out of Argentina this coming growing cycle. Now Brazil uh, can go either way. If it's a normal El Nino, Brazil will have enough rainfall, record crops, everything is fine, all is well. If it's an El Nino Modica, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, but it, it does bear uh, re- reminding that if we have a El Nino that's a Modokai, which means that the that we migrate the warm sea surface temperatures in the central Pacific and it remains cooler on the east and the west, then that changes your walker cycle. And then you tend to get a drier Brazil, not a wetter Brazil, and then you tend to have a potential for uh, drier risks in Mato Grosso and central northern Brazil. And that makes... It doesn't mean it has to be a disaster, but it means you probably aren't going to have the big, big crop in Brazil. It means good, not great, but Argentina is going to be phenomenal. So if I'm looking at what could trigger a weather rally over the December, January, February timeframe on South American weather, I would look for Mato Grosso, the number one producing state for soybeans and the number one producing state for second for corn and the second crop corn i think if we're going to have a hot button that's going to capture the imagination of speculators in the market that's where you get your winter rally off of south america in terms of winter el nino a normal el nino means warm winter historically potentially a lot of snow but a warmer winter okay el nino modokai in the united states means a tends to be a colder winter for the central Eastern U.S. The West is actually on the warmer side in a Modokai situation. So you asked about where you are. You're, you're like, you know, you're. I'm you a know, tweeter. You're, you're a tweeter. You know, I, I think because you're more westerly, you're probably going to be on the warmer, drier side if I had to guess. Just, you know, yeah. just I, I think you – but I've, the eastern Nebraska probably be on the other side. But but that but but it, what it means is is a much colder, snowier central eastern U.S. And that means you know most of the demand for heating oil and most of the demand for natural gas comes from a cold central east, not a mm-hmm. cold central west. So things like natural gas, things like heating oil, diesel, mm-hmm. you know, they could really have. Um, um, some um, some price spikes if that's the case. And the same thing, remember last year, the one thing that bailed Europe out of what could have been a humanitarian energy disaster was that they had just an exceptionally uh, warm winter, but they would also experience, um, you know, they, they would also experience a, 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 a colder uh, winter than they did last year because it's a Modokai. So, that's our forecast. Our advanced weather tells us that we're going to see a Modokai. Obviously, we're going to be watching to make sure that develops very closely because that has a lot to do with whether Brazil is dry and whether the, the winter is cold. But right now, all our work is giving us very strong signals that that's what to look for. And that means that, the, that South America should provide some weather spike opportunities. And that means we need to be watching energy this winter. We are likely to get some spikes, especially uh, – Casey, if geopolitics escalates and we get some restriction of energy supplies coming out of Russia, you know, you could see a, um, 
you, you could see a perfect storm situation developing of a food shortage crisis and an energy crisis heading into winter, which the politicians would uh, be under tremendous pressure to solve. And, and, and then, you know, that's kind of seems to me where Putin wants to take this, you know, and, and, and place that humanitarian suffering on the table. So, yeah, cause you can see already that like countries like Turkey and China, both are kind of like, Hey, everybody, this is okay. We've, we've had our fun here. Let's get together and, and make, get to sit down and talk about it. And, and you can see the pressures already starting to develop on, you know, the very intermediate stages of, of countries that don't necessarily, you know, they're not going to have a riot tomorrow because they're out of food, but they're, they're very concerned about what's happening. India did come out and, and say, we're going to reopen, you know, uh, the sale of wheat and rice back out of their country. But that, if they were so scared of it a month ago, you got to think that this is going to be a very short lived situation that's going to come. So you're starting to feel that, that, that geopolitical pressure on, the rest of the world to sit down and talk with Putin about what's going on here and, and try to resolve this situation. Yeah. And, you know, the Russia, the Russia's point of view is we, 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 we've listened to you. We tried to be nice on food and we're not going, getting anywhere. Right. All, we, all we have is this endless war and we're not getting anyone coming to the negotiating table to work out a settlement here. And so, you know, I, I think they're feeling like, you know, why should we continue to play nice? We need to put the pressure on and, I think ultimately that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to say, look, we've sold a bunch of weight, a bunch of energy to you guys, you know, but at some point we need to get what we want, what we need. And unless you can convince the other side, um, you know, pretty soon here, we, we need to force their hand. And that's, it seems to me that's where we're heading right now. Yep, so for sure. All right. One last thing. Um, and one more thing on that topic, you know, if you take a look at what the U S has, has given Ukraine since, this has started back in February of 21, 22, right? Um, yeah. The uh, United States has given Ukraine more money than Russia spent on their military. So, I mean, it's it's this is one of those things that we're going back, you know, Biden wants to go back and get more money to give to him. So, I don't know. They don't know in sight. So, all right. I had to throw my, my little political <laughs> nonsense in there for a second. Um all right, let's jump over and talk about milk. Milk has had a very sharp run-up uh, from a very dismal low. I mean, it was bad there for a minute. It was under, I think I had a 13 in front of it for a minute. And you're looking at it now, and it's not like they're making money hand over fist by any means right now, but it's significantly better than it was. Right now, milk is trading at 17, 21. Uh, so I guess as you're looking at um, the milk market, what's what's some of the factors that have been driving that up and and is there some light here at the end of the tunnel for the dairy producer? Well, sure. I mean, they went from the worst margins in the history of the dairy industry in the U.S. to still losing money, but, you know, considerably less. Um, coal cow rates hit the highest level in the last reporting period in the U.S. since 1986, meaning we're liquidating the herd. It's happening everywhere. And, um, you know, the job of the milk market, because it's a it's a – you, know, you don't snap your fingers and turn production off or on. I think they're looking out ahead and saying, we're going to have a big, big contraction in global production starting later in the fourth quarter. We had better slow that down or else, you know, as demand comes back, you know, we're, we're going to have a, we're not going to have enough milk to support anything. And so that really got the market excited. The fact that we're getting on the other side of African swine fever in China, you know, the hog price there is spiking the, 
bean meal prices spiking, the dry weight prices spiking here. Remember that if you're going to rebuild a hog herd, you have to start off with piglets, and piglets consume mostly meal and dry whey, of which we're the largest exporter of whey to China. So all those indicators are telling me that we're looking at a meat protein shortage developing in the back half of the fourth quarter onward, and that means that China's going to be a big buyer of chicken, a big buyer of pork, and a big buyer of milk powder to fill the gap of the lost uh, pork protein that they're going to have to spend some time rebuilding for the third time. So that's a pretty good uh, outlook for the dairy industry. You know, we look, we've had this big move of four, three or four dollars off the lows. And I don't think we're going to make a lot of headway beyond, you know, this, um, you know, 18, 19 area because demand is still pretty suspect here domestically. Um, but I think once we kind of do some sideways trades, some backing and filling, and we get to the latter part of the fourth quarter, I think we can see the milk market have a, a surge finally back to where profitability can be had again by global dairy farmers, especially here in the U.S. So the news is I think the worst that is over in terms of the catastrophic losses in July. The bad news is we're probably not going to get to back to profitability for a few more months, but the road to recovery is underway, and I see a much better outlook for, for, the, uh, for 2024. Awesome. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual, man. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what's happening over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have a Twitter page, at Faradex11. Uh, as, you know, we, we posted uh, our market-to-market segment for those that you know want to go there and take a look at that. And that's what we kind of do. We kind of put some of these interviews out there, some, some of our work, so that people can stay in touch with these cycles and statistics that we talk about on your show to see if what we do might be of value to those that are involved in agriculture in any way. So. Right on. And when you see Sean on market to market, man, he is dressed to the nines. Suit on, <laughs> hair's all slow. He just looks amazing. You got to go. Well, they got the ma- they got the makeup artist. You know, they oh, make yeah. all look. You know, they they take all the wrinkles of. You know, yep. it's, it, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's pretty slick what they do over there. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. So, Sean, appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. All right, I'm Casey Seymour at Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. See the video version over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. And uh, there's some blog posts I need to get posted that will be up here pretty soon, but check that out. So with that, I am Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Mm-hmm.
and iron in the 21st century.